we're excited about what the Lord's doing and just expectant for the times that we're in. Um, and so we've been in a beautiful couple of weeks of talking about the grace of God, uh, the gospel, unpacking that. And it honestly is the most liberating thing your ears and heart will ever have the privilege of hearing. And uh, I, I honestly believe um, there isn't anything else to talk about or preach or it's just it's the gospel. And when we begin to come into the reality of that, uh, it changes your whole life. So uh, I'm really just so grateful uh, for the last couple of weeks. It's been so rich, and there's so much revelation in that. And you can go and um, listen to this on the podcast platforms and YouTube and all those things uh, so that you can really yeah, keep up with where we're going. And we do feel in the next couple of weeks uh, to also teach into just the blueprints of what God gave us as a house of uh, what we're building, how God called us to build, what the expression is of this house, uh, and what that looks like going forward, and how your life pay, uh, plays such an important role in that as well. Um, you know, we have no interest in being a Sunday morning uh, church only. Sunday mornings are beautiful and vital, and these times are so special. Why would you not want to do this? I don't understand. It's just so awesome to be together. But it's so much more than that. And so it's why our heart is to see expressions uh, grow and, and open up in different areas of our lives. And, um, you know, we, we, we want people to understand and to carry a revelation in a heart that uh, when you leave this place and when you go into your work environments and into your homes, 24-7 or the church is actually active in your life. It's, that's, that's where uh, we want to see the supernatural break out. It's not just about coming to a service and hoping that there's an altar call and somebody will pray for you. It's actually about knowing who you are in Jesus, being equipped to stand in your identity and to follow Him and obey Him and everything that He called you to do. So that's, that's the, the heart of why we're really teaching into the grace of God and laying those foundations as a, as a house. Um, but I want to just be so uh, raw and real with 24-7 today as a family and encourage you and hopefully speak a word that will lift you up, uh, solidify foundations in your life uh, in the grace of God and, uh, and propel you forward uh, into this season that we are in. And um, so I want to ask this question, who's tired <laughs> the rest of you are liars. <laughs> I saw you walk in this morning. No. So, so isn't it interesting? Um, we came out of two, maybe three years, I don't even know how long it was, of lockdowns and um, things we've never had to face before in our lives, challenges we've never had to face before. Um, and then all of a sudden it was finished. And it was like back to normal. And, uh, and I think people are actually, a lot of people are still living in the shock and trauma of my life has flipped completely upside down. I had to change a whole bunch of things. And then suddenly it was like back to normal. And especially those that actually had to go back to work. I mean, what a shock it was. You know, people were shocked that there was even offices still. Um, but the reality is you can see that there's a little bit of this shock to society of, of life is getting really crazy and, and chopping and changing. And, and the funny thing is things seem to have gone back to normal, but it's not the same. How many of you can, can see that the world is not the same? Business is not the same. Spheres of influence are not the same. Uh, people are, are stressed and tired. You just have to drive on, on Joburg streets and you realize, man, people are upset and grumpy, you know. Uh, and, and so we recognize this. We see this going on. And my heart is, Lord, please don't let the church follow the world in this, this direction, but rather that this is an opportunity for us to be who you've called us to be. And uh, there's this, this place in God, and it's a place of rest, and it only comes through the grace of God. Um, but it's not a passive place, and the Lord's been speaking to me about rest the last couple of weeks, mainly because I'm just terrible at it, uh, and I'm, I'm learning, okay, Lord, teach me how to steward rest in my life just as much as I'm stewarding other things, but I'm realizing that rest is a part of who you are. Rest is actually a part of who you're called to be in God. Sons and daughters know how to rest, and they know that rest is not a, a place of doing nothing. Rest is actually a place of fruitfulness. And so in Song of Songs, you see, it says, it describes the bride coming out of the wilderness, leaning on her beloved. Leaning, right? Not flexing. <laughs> leaning. And, I, was and I, I don't know about you guys, but man, that word was encouraging me this week. I was like, Lord, if I come out, if, when you return, if I'm, if I'm hanging on to you, and like my legs are dragging, but you're moving, <laughs> and I'm leaning. All my weight is on you. I trust you to move me forward. I'm not coming out flexing because I've been on roids, you know? <laughs> Because uh, the reality is, the reality is, sometimes what the church does is, through the difficult times, you want to prescribe steroids, 
and, and so we're trying to give the seven steps to cope and to be better and to look better and to feel better and that everything on the outside would seem like you look great in life. But on the inside, you're tired, you're exhausted, you have no well-being, you're afraid. And the reality is God looks at the heart. Man might look at the outside and it doesn't matter how many things you post on your social media account about how great life is, God's looking at your heart and he's saying, do you know me? I want to know you. I want to, I want to sustain you. I want to walk with you. I want intimacy with you. And I've just felt in my own heart, I was reminded of the scriptures where the, you know, they say to Jesus, Lord, Lord, didn't, did we not cast out demons in your name? Do we not heal the sick, see all the signs and wonders? And Jesus said, depart from me, I don't know you. We can get caught up in, in the expressions of the, the, the external stuff and miss the depth of intimacy that he wants. Because the reality is, uh, I was teaching our, our interns this week around dependence, and we, we've been meditating on this one line, and it's this. Uh, if your ministry is a result of his presence, his presence will be the result of your ministry. Every single one of you actually are operating in ministry. You might, you might be ministering nonsense, <laughs> but you are ministering something because you carry something. You're wired that way. So you represent something. You shine something. You, you communicate something every day of your life. You know, sometimes people who are, are struggling with, you know, depression or those things, they forget that that's actually, you actually release that in the room. And so you're carrying these things all the time. It's why sometimes you, I, I, my heart is so full for people, but I just know, man, it's just because we don't know who we are. Sometimes we're coming, we don't, we're, we think we're disqualified, we think we're not doing something, but you are actually doing something. You're just releasing negativity. <laughs> uh, and so and it begins to perpetuate a cycle in our lives, you know. Uh, and, and, and then there's this victim mentality, and, and all these things begin to happen. And so, suddenly you see people chaotic all over the place, can't cope with life. And my heart is like, Lord, I don't want to see a church that's trying to cope. I want to see the church of Jesus Christ built on the solid rock that's the revelation of who He is and beginning to rise and shine and be who He's called us to be in the midst of chaos. In our Bible study, we're doing the book of Revelation, and I explained from the beginning, my dad and I have been unpacking this, saying the book of Revelation shows us and explains to us, we see it in other parts of the New Testament, that what is coming is great distress and tribulation, but also great glory. And the reality is we're not shocked, we're not, we, we cannot be a people that are, are thrown off by the world's chaos and the situations and circumstances. We have to be a people that know the world without Jesus is struggling, man. It's falling apart, the systems don't work, the wisdom of man doesn't actually build anything, it's all collapsing. And it says Babylon, which is a representation of the systems of this world, it's going to fall. So we know that, and our, our hope is not in the systems of this world. Our hope is not in events. Our hope is in the man, Jesus Christ. And if I don't have a relationship with him, then I can get into the rut of trying to do ministry, do church, do spirituality, do all these things, but I don't actually know the man, and so there's never substance, there's never transformation, there's never change in my life, and I'm living a perpetual cycle of brokenness. And God's heart for us is he's saying, I love you too much to leave you in that place. Majority of the time, people are looking at the church and seeing the same or worse problems than what they're actually going through. Only this, this group of people act spiritual about it. And, and God's heart is like, don't, don't make your brokenness spiritual. Are you with me? It's like, don't stay in a place of brokenness when Jesus paid this price. I, I, I'm saying this because I, I feel the heart of God for His church. It's like, would He go through what He went through only for us to cope? Would He go through what He went through only for us to scrape through week to week? I was chatting to... Um, some of the guys this week, and we kept saying, it's funny, ask anyone in Joburg, how are you doing? And it starts like this, busy, but, uh, but good, or busy, but oh man, it's been hectic, or every per ask, ask anyone. Isn't that interesting? And, uh, and I was thinking about this for my own life, and, and I say it all the time, how are you doing? Oh, busy, man, busy, just busy, 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 busy doing ministry, busy doing stuff, busy trying, to, busy trying to change the world. And I met with a pastor this week, and he just reminded me, he said, hey, Con, I just want to remind you that uh, God's going to do it with you or without you. <laughs> and he just said to me, he's like, you, you, you don't have to do all of it. It's okay. Like, you could stop today and God would still fulfill the Great Commission. He'd still raise up His church. He'd still prepare His bride. You get to do this. And here's the thing. I want to just say to you, you don't even need to slow down. Stop. Because this is what we do. is like, life has got so busy, I just really need to slow down. But the problem is you're still doing the same things, just a little bit slower and more ineffective. <laughs> it's like, no, don't slow down. Stop. Because I, I said this to our, our, our interns 
sometimes Jesus is walking with you, and then he stops just to see if you'll keep walking without him. And I know in the last season, there's been times where suddenly you're like going in life and you're going, whoa, it's like I put my head up somewhere and Oaks just started smashing me around. <laughs> and you're like, what the heck is going on? Jesus, what, where are you? I thought we were. And then you turn and he's back there and, and he's like, hey. And then you realize, oh, let me come back here. Sorry, Lord. I, I, actually, your timing is, yeah, hold my hand. Okay, let, look at me. Let's talk. And maybe the pace is a little slower than you thought because maybe he's not in as much of a hurry as we thought. Are you with me? And so I want to encourage you, like, he really, he's so after your heart. He wants your heart more than anything else. The, the, the whole point of the grace of God is your heart. I don't know if you understand this, but we need to get a fresh revelation of the fact that if he didn't do what he did, your point or reason for existence was nothing. There was no hope for mankind. There was no hope for us. There was no point in life. It's like, forget your assignment, what you think you're called to do, your gift or whatever. Just come back to the simple thing of you are nothing if he didn't do what he did. You have nothing. <laughs> and so it's like, well, you come to a place of gratitude and suddenly gratitude begins to propel you into a place of faith. And when you're thankful, like, Lord, thank you for what you've done for me. Thank you for where you've positioned me, that I'm in you, that no matter what, I'm found in you that I can lean on you, that I can rest in you. And from that place, as I'm thankful, gratitude is, is me thanking Him for what He's done and it's propelling me into faith with expectation for what He's also going to do in my life. So I always say this to our team, how do you know you're in faith? Well, what are you thankful for? Because gratitude is like, it's like one of the fruits or the evidence of what you're believing God for. Thank you, God. So even, this is why I say, how do you position yourself in, in His righteousness, which we've been talking about the last couple of weeks? Well, you don't do it by trying to, to impress him or get to a place of being righteous. You thank him for what he's given you. Does that make sense? So I want to just read a, a, a verse, and we'll follow Holy Spirit as we go here. But Colossians chapter 1, the interns are going to get this for a seventh time. We've been sitting in Colossians. and Colossians chapter 1, verse 9. I'm going to read it out of the ESV, and then I'm going to read it out of the Passion, and I'm going to show you something really beautiful. It says this. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may, may be filled with the knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Pause there for a second. So Paul's writing to Colossians, and I want you to just understand this very quickly. Colossians was not uh, planted by Paul. Uh, actually, it was one of his spiritual sons. How do you say his name? It's somewhere here. A, a pa Where is it? Verse 7. There it is. Yeah, Epaphras. So Epaphras was one of Paul's spiritual sons, and he's, he's the one who actually started the church. And Epaphras, if you study history, he actually uh, was communicating back and forth with Paul because in the church of, uh, in Colossae, uh, there was this thing coming in again with Judaism, and you need to be circumcised to be saved. And uh, yes, Jesus died, and that's all great, but you also need to follow Jewish law. And so there was this real confusion around what does God actually think about us? That's essentially this struggle. What does God actually think about us? And so Paul, he's writing this letter to the Colossians, and he's addressing the fullness of the gospel, and he's saying this is the message that we preach. This is the reality of what God's done. This is what God thinks about you. And so he says this, that from the day we heard, we haven't stopped praying for you, asking that you'd be filled with the knowledge of His will in all spiritual uh, wisdom and understanding. Now, in the Passion Translation, it says this, and I really love it because it's, I think it's a little more accurate in, in one of these sentences. It says, Since we first heard about you, we've kept you always in our prayers that you would receive the perfect knowledge of God's pleasure over your lives. And if you study that word, really beautiful, the word is uh, telema, T-H-E-L-E-M-A, telema, and it means desire or pleasure. So now when you hear the will of God, isn't it interesting that straight away our default is the will of God means what, what God wants me to do? So Paul, we could read that and think that Paul's praying for the church that they would know and understand what God wants you to do. But that's not what Paul's saying. He's actually saying that you would know and understand and have perfect knowledge of God's pleasure over your life. In other words, the way we live the Christian life is by positioning ourselves to live under His thoughts, His emotions, and His feelings towards us, not our own. And what I've just said to you, 
will set you free from any mental health struggles or problems. <laughs> because the, the struggle with anything that's in your head, I've been there, most of you know my story, the struggle is actually because you're governed by your thoughts or the lies that have come that you've taken and owned. And so what stops us from living in the grace of God is that we're still trying to live in His grace in our own strength based on how we think versus allowing Him and His thoughts and His pleasure to be what governs our thoughts and renews our mind. Your job is to yield to Him, yield to His Word, and His Word will transform your mind. Does that make sense? Because sometimes we've been, we've been taught, like, you need to renew your mind. And then we think, how do we do that? So then, you know, you get the little elastic band and you're, like, you know, quoting scriptures all day and, and hurting yourself and ripping eyebrow hairs out because you're, like, trying to renew, change my thinking, change my thinking. It doesn't work. What you have to do is receive. <laughs> Are you with me? I love, uh, uh, I think it's Watchman who said, you can describe the Christian, you can, you can describe how to live the Christian life in one word, receive. That there's nothing that we can do or become without receiving. So this is why everything in the world that's going on, the, the, whether it's media or TV, whatever it is, movies, everything is screaming at your mind. And we're just, you know, willingly opening our lives to a lot of this stuff. And so we, we call rest binging on Netflix series. Um, you know, I, I'm exhausted. I just need to take a day off, sit in my bed, wallow in my troubles, and, and watch 17 episodes of, you know, MasterChef or something. <laughs> you know, and, and I, so it's so funny because you, you look at that stuff and you just go like, wow. And then we wonder why we're struggling to rise up and be who God's called us to be and step into things. It's like, because actually your mind is so full of chaos and noise. And, you know, we've been discussing something as an eldership team. One of the reasons we believe that our lives are just so busy and, and everybody's just so hectic is because of this thing. I just need a few moments. Oh, man, I, this is so personal to me. I just need a few minutes just to, like, just to rest and just to calm down. So what I do is I sit down and start scrolling through social media. And then it's somebody's life, somebody else's life, somebody else's life, somebody else's life, somebody else's life. And my mind is just getting so filled with information about people that's not even helpful to me. And I'm deciding whether I like it or don't like it, as if that even matters. Are you with me? And it's not even real, because the reality is they, they took the best photo of the best situation that they could possibly be in in that moment. What you didn't see was five seconds after that, it was actually not like that at all. And so we have this stuff going on. I know, like, I'm a big Manchester United supporter, and, uh, and so, <laughs> who said that? <laughs> and... Uh, and so, like, for me, sometimes it'll be, oh, just, I'll open the Manchester United app, you know, and start scrolling through. And within 10 minutes, I'm furious. <laughs> I'm like, the managers are wally. I should be coaching this team. These guys don't even know what they're doing. And why oh, aren't they signing this player and that player? You know, I got into F1, and now I'm like, oh, man, you know. I don't even know what's going on with the car, but I'm like, it's the car. It's the car. They just need to fix the car. You know. And so all this stuff happens and life's screaming at you. And sometimes it's like, you know, I, even Jess and I, hey, let's have some time together. Let's go watch a movie. I come out the movie and I'm like, what is wrong with this world, babe? It's just stupid. And like, did you see those adverts? And then it's, it's, the plot is just weak and Hollywood's gone. And, and we call it rest, you know, date night. I'm just being real, right? And it's like we've, we've lost the art of connection. And, and the problem is that's happening relationally and it's how we're operating here and it's now happening with the Lord. Let me ask you this question. Can you get alone with God and just be quiet? Can you get alone with God and just, just receive for longer than 35 seconds? I know sometimes when life gets busy, it's like you get alone with God and your, your mind is so active and your phone's there, bing, oh, that went off and no, I'm not going to look at it. Right? Or, or it's like stuff like this is going on, or your mind is racing, situations, circumstances. And God's got so much He wants to say to you, so much He wants to uh, equip you with and, and do in your heart. And sometimes we're just so all over the place. And so what we do then is because we don't know how to actually sit and talk with God, we watch YouTube sermons. I don't know how to be still with God, so I just chuck a thing on and, oh, okay, yeah, that's a good word, Lord. Wow, sure. Thing is, God didn't say that to you in that moment. Don't get me wrong. He can use YouTube. Don't send me an email. But the reality is, you know, sometimes we listen to the stuff and it's like, yeah, it's beautiful and it's so profound and powerful. And that's what God said to them. 
And then what we're doing is living our Christian lives based on other people's revelation, other people's encounters. Are you with me? Now, do I think things like that can really minister to us? I get really encouraged and equipped, and I, I love you know, listening to what God's doing all over the world. But that can't be the foundation of my walk with God. And I think one of the, the things that the church is probably most ill-equipped in is intimacy with God, true intimacy. Because here's the thing. There's this language that's come around intimacy and relationship with God, and so people are talking about it all the time, and they're quite expressive in it. And I, I sometimes worry. I'm like, sometimes you see the church get more and more expressive in the language of something, and less and less substance is being revealed. So now intimacy is like the language. We talk about, yeah, I, let me put it this way. I'll talk to some people and say, how are you doing? And I, my team knows we had this chat, so I've done it myself. This is not personal to anybody. <laughs> how are you doing? Oh, man, it's been, it's been awful. It's been really difficult. But my times with Jesus have been amazing. Most of you are going, and? What's wrong with that? I'm like, oh, sorry, let's just join the Dutch. You're having these wild, incredible times with Jesus, but your life sucks. Yeah. <laughs> Does this make sense? It makes no sense, right? <laughs> my guy. That's it. It doesn't make sense. It's like, it's like, I have these, no, my times with God have been incredible, but oh man, situations, it's been tough, it's been harder. And then I wonder, I'm like, Lord, what are we doing? What's happening in that place? Because when there's intimacy with Him, it's oneness. And what Jesus paid for is union, oneness together. It means that when I'm with Him, when I operate in that place, it doesn't matter what's happening around me. And it gives me freedom, wisdom, and authority to make decisions from a place of wholeness. I'm looking at the church, and I guarantee this is for so many of you in this room right now. We are allowing the world to set the pace of our lives. You're allowing your job to decide how and what your day looks like, how you're going to respond to certain things, what your responsibility is, rather than letting the Word of God govern your life and choosing to be a representation of Him in that place. And yes at the risk of losing your job. And the thing is, <laughs> I know I'm intense, but the reality is that when I study my Bible and I study the, the church, that's how they lived. It's like, it's like, no, you can't preach that. You can't preach that the grace of God is so wild and, and the, the Word of God is the government of your life and causes you to live a certain way. Uh, but the moment that your boss says otherwise or expects you to be something else or different, no, then it's okay. Just, but just make some adjustments because you have to. That's how you make a living. Then we are playing religion. Does that make sense? It's like, no, this became my whole life. So I, I, my heart is to represent Jesus everywhere that I go. And the beautiful thing is you, when you walk in that, what you see on your life is the supernatural. What you see on your life is the favor of God. And people want that. They might be offended at it at first. I, that's just part of it. The gospel does offend people at first. You know, good, good news can be so good that it doesn't, it's, it seems like there's no ways, it's too good to be true. And the reality is it, it's so good because it is true. But it takes people a while to go like, well, that's, okay, that's incredible. But when we journey the stuff, we realize, okay, hold on, God's called us to represent Him. God's called us to walk in this as a reality every single day in every sphere of influence. He's your Lord. He's your Savior. He's the lover of your soul. He's the master of your life. And, and you are going to serve either him or mammon, so decide. Does that make sense? And, and he gives you grace and equips you to do everything that he's called you to do. But I promise you, I'm saying this from, from really a pastor's heart to say, it's not okay for you to settle for a hard life of just getting tossed to and fro by the world dictating to you what, what your identity is going to look like and how you feel day in and day out. It's not okay to settle for, for just week after week after week, either mediocrity or it's just mundane because I've settled and I just stay in this place because this is where there's no conflict and no, it's, I can just kind of get through. You're not called to be a victim. You're not called to survive. You're called to rule and reign and be who God's called you to be. And the reality is if you're a son or a daughter of God, you have full access to all the provision of heaven. Either you believe it or you don't. But if you believe it, you walk into something that's supernatural and people want in on that. Does this make sense? Yeah. I, I always try to be really soft and tender. But coming back to this, if we would be governed by the pleasure of God over our lives, realize that we're called to be positioned and postured where His thoughts 
about you define what your day looks like. His thoughts about you define your emotions, define how you feel about certain things, define your trust. So what is his thoughts about you? That's the question. And if you read further on, Verse 21 and 22. I'm going to read it out of the Passion. It says, Even though you were once distant from Him, living in the shadows of your evil thoughts and actions, He reconnected you back to Himself. (laughs) Even when you were still stuck, distant, stuck in your sin, struggles, brokenness, hardships, in that He reconnected you to Himself. You didn't do anything. You didn't have to prove anything. In fact, in that moment, you probably weren't even fully convinced. But he reconnected you to himself. And then it says this, he released his supernatural peace to you through the sacrifice of his own body as the sin payment on your behalf so that you would dwell in his presence. Dwell in his presence. And now there is nothing between you and Father God, for he sees you as holy, flawless, and restored. (laughs) This is the thoughts of the Father over you. So the Christian life flows from me coming into agreement and believing that the Lord looks at me and says, you're holy. You're righteous. You're pure. And then when I walk in faith and say, thank you for that, guess what what becomes real in my life? Righteousness, purity, joy. It's like it's otherworldly. It doesn't make sense. It's not of this realm. Why are you so happy? I received it. And, and it's a good thing because it's a joy that's measured by Him. It's not measured by my, what's my circumstance and situation. And, and I, why this is real to me is, you know, we're preparing now for the Middle East again. And when I think about our friends there, they don't have earthly reasons to be stoked. <laughs> when you sit with some of the families and it's like you were kidnapped by ISIS, you were tortured for three days, your family was shot at, uh, you can't work anymore because your back is still, uh, you know, kind of broken. And, and they broke your back and your neck in four places. And, uh, you know, your, your cousin was taken into sex trafficking and you never saw her again. And this kind of stuff. And then they're sitting there and they've got these beaming faces and there's something in their eyes. And you go, what is that? And, and what's beautiful is one of the, the ladies who leads worship out on the streets in a Muslim nation that's really intimidating and scary... They asked her, why do you do that? Why do you risk your life to go stand on the street with a guitar and just sing and worship? And this was her response. It's just joy. And I, you know, I think most of us in the West would go, you didn't answer my question. But she said, it's just joy. It's a joy to give him my life. It's a, I'm happy. I, I, I've lost everything. I'm happy. Because in losing everything of this world, I've gained everything in him. It's the, it's, uh, we, you've heard me speak on this before. It's the blessedness of forsaking all else but gaining Him. It's when we live in that place we can truly love. It's when we live in that place we can truly love our wives, love our families, love our neighbors, love people, love the nations. It's a love that's not your own. It's supernatural. And it's the grace of God that does that in your heart because you received it. It's only by grace that you can receive the things of heaven, the things of his heart. And when you do, you're literally equipped in the nature of Christ to do what he's called us to do as the people of God. And so my heart is like, Lord, make 24-7 a people so rooted and grounded in what you say about us. That that you define our identity. That we're built and established on the revelation of Jesus. That I know that today and tomorrow and the next day and until he comes, every day the, the measure of my life is him. There's not a single moment of the day that he's looking at me and measuring me by what I did or didn't do. And because of that, I'm free to partner with him in the supernatural and see the kingdom of heaven established on the earth based on his works and his merits. The good works of righteousness that come from my life are from him. Does that make sense? It's not me trying to prove anything. It's not me trying to achieve anything. I'm walking in the goodness of God. I'm seeing the righteousness of God displayed in my life. Does that make sense? Just quickly, uh, it just dropped in my heart. I, I felt this morning, it's like 
some of us have allowed these things, life and stuff and the world and whatever, to get so loud that we're letting go and, and not quitting, but maybe just putting it on pause, the assignments and the things that God's put in our heart. We're just like, I'll get there. I'll get to it. It's just a, it's just a crazy time. I just can't do that right now, so I'll get to it. And I, I'm like, my heart just yearns. I go, don't, don't do that. Press into Him. Seek the Lord. Receive everything that He has for you. And watch how from your life comes an authority, comes a security, comes a confidence to do the things that He's placed inside of you. This isn't a time to, to play games. This isn't a time to, you know, and you say, hey, it doesn't feel like a game. I know, it's not your game, it's Satan's games. To you, it feels like life, but to the devil, he's messing with you. Schemes and acts of distraction to stop you from stepping into the high call of God, to know Him and make Him known on the earth. This is the grace of God. You know, this morning my dad, he read it out of Romans 6, and it says in verse 11, that we should reckon ourselves dead to sin and alive to God. So yes, we've, hit, we've been talking about sin and hitting sin, that God's not measuring you by your sin. You're forgiven. You're covered in the blood of Jesus. But he says, reckon yourself dead to it. In other words, stop looking at it. Stop, stop giving it so much attention. You're dead to it. But now live alive to God. In other words, live towards Him. Every aspect of your life is unto Him, towards Him, for Him, in Him, through Him. So Hebrews 4 talks about striving to enter rest, which makes it so confusing. It's like strive to enter rest, but he's talking about a specific rest. It's not just a holiday rest. The rest that he's talking about is that your life is positioned in the grace of God, right? So he says, if there's one thing that you should really make sure you get, don't waste time on this one. Make sure this is the thing. If you're going to give your life to something, make sure it's this one thing that you receive and live in the grace of God so that it's not dependent on you. It's dependent on Him. In other words, if I could say it like this, make sure you're leaning on Him. <laughs> don't live your life standing on your own two feet. You weren't made to do that. Lean on Him. Lean on Jesus. Lean on me. Right? That's what's going through my head. Sorry. That's, yeah, that'll be in your heads all day. And I'm saying that to you because, man, what's the point of doing what we do if it's not in union and intimacy and personal relationship with Jesus? I'd have quit a long time ago. I'm just letting you know. But knowing Him, living with Him, Feeling Him, experiencing Him. There's only one thing that stops us from experiencing Jesus. One thing. Pride. You know, so many people have spoken to me and said, Man, I, you know, I'm, just, I'm trying to. I, I want to experience God. I, you know, I'm waiting for my moment. <clears throat> And I'm like, imagine, can, can, you just, can you picture that in God's heart and in his mind? That that's how a good father treats his children? Like, yeah, I'm, I'm just waiting for you to get your act together, and then I'll come show you how good I am. <laughs> I'm just waiting for you to just figure a few things out. Just make, make sure that you're in the right place before I can come and show you how good I am. No, he's not like that. He's a father that's he is pursuing you with everything you have. And the Bible's so clear that, that he gives grace to the humble, but he opposes the proud. Because you know what pride is? Pride is an attempt at your own sufficiency. That's what pride is. Pride is any, any area of my life where I think I, I actually, like, I know one of the main areas that that's hinders people from encountering God is the fact that I need to figure Him out. Explain that to me. If you can answer the list of five questions that I have about God, then I'll believe. Well, you, may, you just shut the door in His face because what you said was God was bound to your five questions. Like your tiny, puny little pip of a brain has five questions for the God who created the whole universe. And you're obsessed with the answers to your five questions, but you're missing the answer to life. There are still things to this day that I have no idea, right? It's like, you, I, I've got lots of questions for the Lord. But the difference is I met Him. So it's like, I, I, I don't want to see anybody in the church just because they were debated in. Because if you can get debated in, you'll get debated out. But if you've had an encounter with the living God and you've experienced Him, you've seen Him and He spoke to your heart and you were touched. You know, my first encounters with Jesus, I didn't see anything. 
I didn't maybe even feel anything in my body, but something happened inside my heart. In uh, Romans 8, you know, it's interesting that we've been talking about law and grace and, and these things. And um, we read and it talks about how the law actually produces sin in us, <laughs> which is a pretty intense thing. It's like obviously God doesn't want you to live under something that produces sin in you. You wouldn't know about sin if it wasn't for the law. There's no measure for sin if it wasn't for the law. So the law came to show you that you need Jesus but he doesn't want you to live under the law. He wants you to live in him. Jesus came so that you didn't have to live under the law, that you can live in the nature of Jesus and be who he's called you to be with his supernatural strength and power. That's called Christianity. right? And Romans 8 says this, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now this comes off the back of the end of Romans 7, where Romans 7.21 says, Paul's writing, he's talking about people who are living in between grace and law, still living under the law in a lot of ways. It says, So I find it to be a law... That when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. And he says, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? This is, he's explaining. It's like, man, I, I really want to love God. I really want to, to be who he's called me to be and walk in those things, but I'm seeing like that's the desire in my heart, but then my body and my desires and my flesh does all these other things. And come on, we're looking at a whole generation right now on the earth that gave up on God because of this reality that was so tired of just never being good enough. I'd rather just make sin okay, forget all of that stuff and just go after the, 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 the nonsense and, and all the junk in my life and just say that's normal. That's normal. Normal people do this stuff. Because I'm so tired of being stuck between the two. But Paul's saying, this is a reality of those who live under the law. You, you never feel like you get there. And he goes, wretched man that I am, who will save me? And then the next line, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And then he, he jumps to, to chapter 8. And his first introduction to how we live free from the law is this. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's the key. Before You haven't even done anything yet. You didn't get it right. You didn't figure it out. He just goes, not guilty. That's the verdict over your life. Not guilty. Dead to sin. It's not the measure of your life anymore. Not guilty. But Lord, what about this and this? And yesterday I did this. And what about, Lord, even this morning, hey, oh, not guilty. <laughs> even if you hear what I'm saying to you and you go home and you go straight back into sin, not guilty. And you go, oh, no ways. Yep. <laughs> Read your Bible. There's no condemnation. Not guilty. Then he says this. You just carry on reading. For the law of the Spirit of life. That's not the, the, the old covenant law. That's the law of the Holy Spirit. That's the nature, the person of the Holy Spirit. Has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. I want you to notice this. The law and the flesh, they partner together. Right? So when you, when you start to operate in the flesh, you put yourself back under law. Because what happens when, you, when you're living in the flesh, you're now measuring yourself based on what you think you can and can't do. So suddenly, you, you're now, you have to, there's a mirror that you have to measure yourself to. And, and when you're in the flesh, that's always the law. Okay? So you see this. He says... Uh, for God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be filled in us. Not guilty. Holy. Jesus did it. Then He says, Who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So the finished work, you're holy, you're not guilty. You've give, you, he's given you everything that pertains to life and godliness this is who you are. Speak it over you. Now, don't walk according to your flesh. Don't measure your life based on what you can and can't do. Walk according to the Spirit. What is the Holy Spirit doing? What is He saying? What's His thoughts? What's His emotions? What can He do? Now the impossible becomes my playground. Now I can walk into the most difficult, scary, crazy situations where bosses are freaking out, guys are swearing at each other, and we walk in with a smile on our face. 
and we're ready to represent Jesus. Why? Because it's not based on me, it's based on Him. And then it says this, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. Oh, you don't want to be hostile to God. And it says, for it does not submit to God's law. Interesting. The very thing that we often do when we're in the flesh, thinking in the flesh, is trying to do better, get it right, fix your life, measured by the law. And he's saying, actually, that place is hostile to God and it can't submit to the ways of God. It's impossible. You weren't designed that way. You were designed to live by faith in Him. So why am I saying this this morning? My, my, my encouragement is, is that there's a place of rest. There's a place of wholeness. There's a place of, of purpose when we live in the grace of God. And it's, it's when we see a consistency in our lives that's based on His grace and not based on how you feel that day. See, I think what, what happens in the church is that we don't know how to handle bad days. Because you don't have to have them, by the way. They're a choice. You can take that one home today. That's a good one. You don't have to have bad days. It's a choice. But the reality is in your own strength, it's going to be pretty tough to choose right. It's a good thing God doesn't want you to live that way. But He's saying you can receive my grace. You can receive the things of His nature, the things of His heart, that will keep you steadfast in the midst of a crazy day. And that's for me where gratitude and thankfulness becomes that tool. I remember I used to hate it when I would see pastors preach on thankfulness, you know. And I was like, you spent the whole week prepping on thankfulness. Like, come on, give me something meaty, you know. Until I realized, hold on a second, that thing's a weapon. Gratitude's a weapon. Learning how to be thankful is a weapon. It's like when, when things around you are going south, you need to get real loud about what you're thankful for because it starts to like lift your soul up because that's where, that's where that battle is. It's in your mind. It's in your soul, your emotions. You need to tell your emotions how to live. Does that make sense? You need to speak to your soul and say, oh, thank you, God, that you gave me joy, that you gave me peace, that you're my provider, not my job. That you're my purpose, not my workplace. That you are my Lord, not my boss. Some of you need to tell your body on a Sunday morning, body, get up out of bed, put your clothes on, we're going to church. Come on. That's what Pete did this morning. <laughs> Look how smart he looks. That's what happens when the Lord does it, man. Come on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. But do you, you see what I'm saying? It's like, man, you're, you're not called to live this little mediocre life. You're called for greatness. You're called to live in the fullness of what God has for you. So when you're positioned here, you're free from sin. You're equipped to be alive towards God, to live a life of purpose. And these, these people, these crazy people called Christians, all right, man, you can't stop them. These crazy people called Christians, they are, they come at, at you from different places. But honestly, why, why I'm saying that is because I, my heart gets excited at what Jesus is doing in his church. He's equipping us to live supernatural, miraculous lives. If it's not supernatural, stop. Like that's, that's what's in my heart. It's like the Christianity is supernatural. The gospel is supernatural. Your relationship with God, you're talking to God. Like, that's just wild. That's supernatural in itself. You know, the interesting thing about this phone, I'm nearly done, I promise. Interesting thing about this phone is that uh, you have this, this desire in your heart to communicate with someone you can't see. Because <clears throat> you... <laughs> like, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> Think about this. You have this internal desire... To communicate with someone that you can't see, right? Because otherwise you'd think it's a pretty stupid concept. Well, if, if that wasn't in you, you would think, why would I need to use this if I could just go and drive there and chat to them? No, there was something in us that was drawn to this concept of communicating to someone when we can't see them, right? And it's interesting that you were made that way. 
You were made to live in, a, in the spiritual realm where it might not be in your, with your physical eyes, but you know that you're connected to that person. Right? And it's so interesting to me when, when you think about this, how the enemy has this strategy to put this little thing in your palm where you can talk to anybody and everybody, your friends and even strangers who you don't even know. And he's used this little tool as a weapon to replace or to corrupt the desire to communicate with the Lord. And now instead of pursuing Him in that place, we run to this thing first. And then we even, under the, yeah, we're going to have an altar call. You're all going to throw your phones in the front. <laughs> Burn them! Listen, listen to this, though. You, you, under the guise of this thing being such a tool, <laughs> in a good sense, <laughs> that came out wrong. <laughs> This, this is a tool. But under the disguise of it being a tool and, and something that we can use, we justify our reasons for using it and perpetuate a cycle of slowly more and more becoming disconnected from each other and from the Lord. And what we do is to, to make ourselves feel better, we'll watch the YouTube video about God. Uh, and I, I'm encouraged that He's that good. I just don't actually know Him for myself. You were made first and foremost, to live in love with God, and now you've got a whole generation looking for love on apps. Looking to be fulfilled and satisfied from an app, a stranger that I meet on an app, I don't even know if it's legit or not, when you were created to find that in Him. Now, I'm not saying that guilt, shame, and condemnation, that's not my heart. I'm just saying, can you see how the enemy has played us in this way? I know for myself, like my whole calendar, everything is planned around this. And I remember we were talking about it and we were like, the answer is always my whole life is on this thing. You know? And then I was like, why? Think about that. Well, I need it. Do you? All my messages are here, my calendar, my, uh, everything happens on this thing. Well, what a strategy from the enemy to literally completely distract you. So be careful of this thing. We, we, we chatted about this, and, and I know it's like, maybe it, you go, why would you say that from the pulpit? Well, I think it, if, if it's got that kind of effect on our lives, it's important for us to say, hey, warning, red flag, we were, we were, something's wrong. We need to, <laughs> we were, is that like a siren sound? Yeah. <laughs> maybe in like naughty, you know, in this little bit. Postman Pat, that's it, yeah. Anyway, what I'm saying is, Think about that for a second. You're created for Him. You're created to be free. You're created to be free. You're not created to be bound. You're not created for addictions. You're not created for struggles. You're not created. You're created for Him. And so I think it's time for us to, to start looking at our lives and stepping into the grace of God and making some decisions from a place of wholeness to steward our lives well so that we can be the people God's called us to be. So that you're not disqualifying yourself from the assignments that God's put in your heart because there's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is destruction. That's what it says in Proverbs. Think about that. There's a way that seems right to a man. It's the wisdom of man and its end is destruction. You're not called to live there. And I, I know in my own life, and I'm saying this from my own, my own current journey, we need to make some decisions as the people of God and reassess why we're doing what we're doing. What gets you up in the morning? What wakes you up? Do you get up, roll out of bed because, oh, got to go and do that job. And, ugh. It's good things to go, why? why is my life being designed by those things? No, I'm supposed to be designed by Him and in Him and through Him so that I can walk in everything He's called me to do. It must be so valuable, your relationship with God, that all of hell comes against that one thing. It must be of such worth to the Father, you and Him, relationship, personal intimacy, walking in truth and freedom. So I want to encourage you this morning and just say, God wants you to stand firm in the finished work of what He's done, free from sin, living a life to God, positioned in His righteousness, free from the things of this world, living steadfast in Him and consistently from glory to glory. And I want to just deposit this real, 
I, I hope Holy Spirit does it because I can't do it in and of myself. But I really believe the Lord wants to put hunger back in the church for the presence of the Lord. I was talking to pastors this week, and I just said, you know, we, we kind of come into this place as 24-7 where we're just going to start telling people our services are two to two and a half hours long minimum. Um, and, and if it's too long, then whatever. Because the reality is, is it's like, no, hold on. <laughs> just think about that for a second. Can you imagine that coming out your mouth you stand before Jesus one day? Like, the, do you see what I'm saying? It's either real or it's, or it's a facade. If it's real, then these are not the things we, we're arguing about or, or worried about. The, we want the presence of the Lord. So for, as 24-7, we were talking about this and just saying, man, we want His presence. What does that mean? It means I want the evidence of God upon us as, as the people in our individual lives, but even when we get together. And when you, when you look at when God moves on the earth, it, it really stirs my heart. I was on Friday night, we had the young adults time it was so powerful, man, just what the Lord was doing. And we just shared a few stories of movements of God on the earth, how people, thousands would gather just because God was there. And God's, you know, he's, he's uh, omnipresent and he's in you and that's beautiful. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about when the expression of God's character and nature is evident in a place where nobody has to do anything, but you just know he's there. You're completely undone. You're just... Everything is, is for that one thing. I just want to be with Him. And so we see that when, when, when the church aligns with God in His grace, He begins to move on the earth, and, and people flock to that. And I was just saying there's, there were stories in the Moravian movement in the 1700s. An 11-year-old girl gets so touched and filled with the Holy Spirit that she writes songs that literally shape the movement. These songs describing Jesus, describing uh, the, the pierced lamb. 11 years old. What 11-year-old is going to write songs about a pierced, slaughtered lamb? <laughs> so you see this and you go, man, and, and the anointing was on this. And they would sing these songs while they were on the ships, selling themselves into slavery to go preach the gospel to people. I said it on Friday. What makes a people who are refugees that, that, from Moravia that end up in Germany, they, they create this little village, Hernhut, they go after Jesus, they go after His presence, and the next thing they start to cry out for the Eskimos in Greenland. It's like, and this is in the 1700s. Who does that? What, what happened to these people? What gripped their hearts? That they're in a room encountering Jesus, learning how to love one another, and in that place as they're receiving all that God has for them, they're going, and the Eskimos in Greenland, God. Now, just so you know, they didn't have airplanes and stuff. So then they actually decide, okay, let's go. We're going to send some people. Walk all the way, journey to the, the end of the continent there, get on a, a boat and sail into the icy waters, get to the Eskimos and hope you packed a warm enough jacket, and then spend some time there, probably the rest of your life. You probably never come home and, and see your friends again, but you gave your life to go see some Eskimos in Greenland encounter the love of the slaughtered lamb. And what's beautiful is the story goes actually that when they arrived in Greenland, they didn't see much breakthrough at first until they started to preach the love of God, the grace of God. And they write back to Count Zinzendorf and they say, revival has broken out in Greenland and it's since we started preaching on his love and the death and resurrection of Jesus. So Count Zinzendorf, who led the Moravian movement, he writes a letter to all the Moravian missionaries. He says, we're going to do one thing and one thing only. Make sure you preach the love of God. Because it works. These are the same people who two men hear about an island called St. Thomas with over 2,000 slaves that don't know Jesus. And this is, this is, this is the, their thinking. Let's sell ourselves into slavery so that we can reach 2,000 people with the love of God. These were two men that had wives and families. And they get to the ships, the story goes... They say goodbye to their families in their hearts forever. What preacher today would, would encourage anybody to do that? Do you see what I'm saying? How the world can start to shape our thinking. But so they, they, they love their families and off they go to go preach the gospel to these slaves. And as the boat is leaving, they shout this statement back to their families and to the Moravian church. They shout this, May the lamb that was slain receive the reward of his sufferings. And we, we, we've made it a beautiful song. 
And now we sing that the lamb that was slain received. These are guys who sold themselves into slavery. In the Azusa Street Revival, there was a young girl. I forget her name. It was Mary something, I think. And uh, she gets filled with the Holy Spirit. She didn't have a musical bone in her body, never played an instrument, but she gets filled with the Holy Spirit. She sits down on the piano and she begins to play the most profound music. And she becomes the main pianist of this movement of God for four and a half years. (laughs) You know, there are stories that come out of the Azusa Revival people that literally had uh, their limbs amputated and they would come in and during the worship as they were loving the Lord, it would begin to grow. This is not uh, fairy tale stories. This is, this is newspapers that you can go and look up from 1904, 1905, 1906 where they have these recorded testimonies from the people watching limbs grow out in the presence of the Lord where there would be a, a, a physical fire on the building but the building wasn't actually burning but there was literal you could see fire on the building that the the people around would panic and phone the fire department to come and put the fire out and then the fire guys would get there and go like what are you talking about where's the fire they couldn't see anything but hundreds of people walking around and, and in the building would see actual flames on a building Welsh Revival, six young people led by Evan Roberts get together in a room and pray one prayer, bend us, Lord. Six 20-something-year-olds get into a room. I mean, I said to the guys on Friday, that's a failure of a meeting, right? In, in any leader's eyes today, if you call a meeting and six people show up, you just want to leave that meeting. Six people showed up, oh my word. No, they got down, they said, okay, Lord, bend us. We want to pray that you would move upon our nation, that, you'd move, that people would encounter the living God. Two weeks later, over 100,000 people were saved. My heart gets stirred because I'm like, Lord, I want your presence. I have no desire to play church or play games. I want your presence. And not just that it would come on this room. I want it on the city. I want it on the, the, the nation. I want it on the nations of the earth. I want it on the people of God that will begin to carry His glory to the ends of the earth and see people's lives touched and transformed by the love of God, the grace of God. And when I'm talking like this, something in your heart is lighting up because you were born for it. Are you, you see what I'm saying? but it'll cost you everything. And so many people hear the message of the gospel and salvation is free, but living in the kingdom will cost you everything. And most people will receive salvation, but when it comes to paying the price to live in the kingdom, that's where it gets a little, because uh, I'm still holding on to the world. I'm still in love with the world. I still like what the world can can give me. In 1966, 1966-1967, there was a revival in South Africa with the Zulu people. Not many people actually know about this, but there was a German man who came from Germany, and his heart, as he came here, with one desire to encourage the missionaries. In, now, if you know what was going on in 1966 in South Africa, it was a pretty hectic time. And so he came here, and uh, the first thing that God dealt with in his heart was racism. And he didn't think he was, but he got you, and suddenly he was like, oh, my word, Lord, you're actually dealing with this in my heart. And he got set free, liberated by the grace of God, and so he started to go and just serve them and love people. The next thing, he's hosting these meetings in this little town, and a young Zulu woman comes up in the middle of the meeting. She goes, can I pray? And he says, absolutely. And so she begins to pray, and the Holy Spirit falls on this woman and hits the room. And there was a period of like seven, eight months where hundreds and hundreds of Zulu people in the area started getting saved and encountering Jesus. That's our country. Right here in Johannesburg, in Germiston, right? John G. Lake was here in the early 1900s contending for our city. Going to people's homes that had cancer, praying for them, and the cancerous growths fell out of their body onto the floor. There's a story, there was a lady, she had a cancerous growth in her head somewhere and in her stomach. And so he goes to her, he prays for the one in her head. Uh, and, and the thing, I, I can't describe this to you, I didn't see it, but the, the way it's recorded is that it literally came out of her, fell on the ground, and he bagged it and brought it to church that week. 
Yes, yeah, spoils of war, yeah. I mean, can you imagine? Here's this disgusting-looking tumor thing or growth thing that came out of so-and-so's head. <laughs> and then a young 18-year-old man gets saved that Sunday at church. So guess what John G. Lake does? He sends him that week to go pray for the lady's growth in her stomach, and he comes back the next weekend with another baggie. <laughs> That's in Germiston, Johannesburg. William Branham was here, what, 1950s, somewhere around there. And they had a, a conference and things happening here. And it was here in our city where he had his son with him, and I think it was his brother or his assistant. And um, William Branham used to have these enc encounters with the angel of the Lord. This angel would come speak to him physically. And one night, his son wakes up, and his dad is having this encounter, and um, he's watching his dad up, walking up and down the room, and he's talking, and he's thinking, what the heck's going on? Like, my dad must be talking to the angel of the Lord. There would be certain things that would happen when, like, the presence of God would come, and you could feel it in the room. And then William Branham sees that his son's awake, and he talks to this angel, and then he comes to the kid, and he says, I asked if uh, you'd be allowed to see him. And he said, yes. So he says, come stand with me here. He says, stand here, look across the room. And as he looks across the room, suddenly, boom, he sees this angel across the room. And he said, the glory of God hits the room. And this little boy is just standing there with his dad, looking at this angel. He says he's never felt the glory of God like that. And he realized then that his dad was living in that. And his son is now and his I don't know, 90s, and he might have even passed in the last couple of years. But I remember watching this testimony, and as soon as, I mean, years and years and years later, he was a young, he was like 11, 12 years old when this happened. Now he's like in his 80s, 90s, telling the story, and the moment he starts to talk about it, he begins to get emotional, and his body starts to shake. Because the glory of the Lord marked his life. William Branham has this encounter in a cave. He gets to a place with his wife in, in America, and he's so frustrated and he just wants to see the power and presence of God and so this is this is what he says he says babe I'm going into the woods and I'm not coming back until I've met God that's called hunger so you know what he did he found a cave and lived in this cave and cried out to God and said I'm not leaving the cave I'm not going to eat I'm not going to drink I'm not going to I'm not leaving this cave until I meet with you and he has this, this encounter. It's his first experience where the angel of the Lord comes and begins to speak to him. And something happens from that day onwards. The sign and wonder appears on his hand where he could touch somebody and there'd be certain manifestations on his arm, whether the person had cancer or a different disease. And every time, what was it? It turned red. Sorry, it would turn red. So he would touch somebody, his arm would turn red, and he'd know there was, there was cancer. And then he'd pray for them and they'd get healed. He would operate in words of knowledge where he would stand there, they'd bring up the cues and the people would come up and words of knowledge, not just like uh, what we see today. God, there's so much more. It wasn't just like, oh, I see that there's you know, an anointing in your life or this or that. It wasn't that. It was like two weeks ago, you were sitting on your bed. You looked out your window and a blue car drove past. It was 12.41 p.m. And at that time, you had this thought about your friend who lived in this city and you phoned them after that and then they said to you that they had a dream. And in the dream, this was the description of the dream. This is the kind of words of knowledge where you're sitting there and you're like, because he knew God. These are men and women of God who would get up on the stage to minister and would just stop. William Branham would get up and he wouldn't do anything until he felt the presence of God on him. He'd wait for it. There were times where everyone would sit there and just be quiet in the room. 20 minutes, 30 minutes sometimes would go by. People just sitting there waiting, 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 waiting. And then people would say, what is he doing? And his son and his team would say, he's waiting for the presence of the Lord. I'm, I'm saying this now because like this, there's a groan in my heart for that reality. Can you imagine that you walk into your business environment or your work environment and you carry the glory of the Lord? There's a lot of, all of us, when we get saved, we have the Holy Spirit in us, but there's a price to pay to have Him upon you. See, Jesus gets baptized and He hasn't done anything yet. 
No ministry, hasn't healed anybody, hasn't performed any miracles. He just comes through. He says to John, you have to baptize me for the fulfillment of all righteousness. And John baptizes him. He comes out the water and the father says, you're my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. I'm pleased with you. You haven't done anything. He's modeling what God says for us. Then it's interesting. Holy Spirit comes down. He receives the Holy Spirit. So now he has the Holy Spirit, Jesus. This is what happens to us. When we give our lives to Jesus, we receive the Holy Spirit. But then it says the Holy Spirit led him into the wilderness for 40 days. He didn't eat for 40 days. And in that 40 days, he manifested his identity as a son. Where the devil tries to tempt him with a few things, but he stands in his identity. He chooses to be led by the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Sonship. And it says he comes out in power. That's the price to power. You want to see the power of God in your life. Give, of, give yourself completely to Him. Give yourself completely to the Holy Spirit. Live in His grace. Position your life there and say, okay, now I want to walk with you, Lord. It's not just about that I got the, the tick saved. Now I want to live saved. So can you imagine what would happen if we gave ourselves to the presence of the Lord in this way? I don't think, whew, can you imagine what would happen to Joburg? if the presence of God was expressed like this. And, and I'm not saying this as a pressured thing. We don't have to manufacture anything. We're not trying to copy anything of the old. But I, my heart is like, Lord, I'm hungry for your presence. I want to come to times like this and have an expectation that his presence is upon us, that his glory is here, that we're encountering him, that the supernatural is breaking out. Does that make sense? I just want, want to get hungry again for him. And I believe that for so many of you today, even just this, this hunger that's stirring in your heart, just get excited about encountering Him. That now when you're having time with Him and spending time with Him, just have a, have a hunger and expectation to receive that He would do something in your heart. Okay. Do you want to stand with me?